you can sit for real this time. If you have your Bible, let's go to Exodus chapter 29 this evening. And uh, as I've told you before, this commitment to systematic expository preaching where you go through an entire book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, really paints you into a corner because you get into some text of Scripture and, and uh, it, uh, uh, you've got to wade through a lot of information to kind of get out the, the main points. And we appear to be in one of those texts tonight, but I know that you love the Word. I know that we have the Holy Spirit who will guide us, and so I will do my best to walk us through this. But we'll be looking at verses 10 through 35, and the creative title I came up with, uh, it's a really good one, One Bull, Two Rams, Three Offerings. And so I had to go back to the basics on this one. Uh, Exodus 29, verse 10, And thou shalt cause a bullock to be brought before the tabernacle of the congregation, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands upon the head of the bullock. And thou shalt kill the bullock before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And thou shalt take of the blood of the bullock and put it upon the horns of the altar with thy finger and pour all the blood beside the bottom of the altar. And thou shalt take all the fat that covereth the inwards and the caul that is above the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is upon them and burn them upon the altar. But the flesh of the bullock and his skin and his dung shalt thou burn with fire without the camp it is a sin offering. So that's the first section. The first offering is the bull, and it is a sin offering. Section 2 begins in verse 15. Thou shalt also take one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands upon the head of the ram. And thou shalt slay the ram, and thou shalt take his blood and sprinkle it round about upon the altar. And thou shalt cut the ram in pieces and wash the inwards of him and his legs and put them unto his pieces and unto his head. And thou shalt burn the whole ram upon the altar. It is a burnt offering unto the Lord. It is a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So that's the second section. And we have the first ram, which is now a burnt offering. Third section begins in verse 19. And this is the second ram, and it's an offering of consecration. Thou shalt take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands upon the head of the ram. Then shalt thou kill the ram, and take of his blood, and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and unto the tip of the right ear of his son, and upon the thumb of their right hand, and upon the great toe of their right foot. Sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. And thou shalt take of the blood that is upon the altar, and of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it upon Aaron, upon his garments, upon his sons, and upon the garments of his sons with him. And he shall be hallowed, and his garments, and his sons, and his sons' garments with him. And thou shalt take of the ram, the fat, the rump, and the fat that covereth the inwards, and the caul above the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is upon them, and the right shoulder, for it is a ram of consecration." And one loaf of bread and one cake of oiled bread, one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And thou shalt put all in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons and shalt wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And thou shalt receive them of their hands and burn them upon the altar for a burnt offering for a sweet savor before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire unto the Lord." And thou shalt take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration 
and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be thy part. And thou shalt sanctify the breast of the wave offering and the shoulder of the heave offering, which is waved and which is heaved up of the ram of the consecration, even of that which is for Aaron and for that which is for his sons. And it shall be Aaron's and his sons by a statute forever from the children of Israel, for it is a heave offering. And it shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel of the sacrifice of their peace offerings, even their heave offering unto the Lord. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed therein and to be consecrated in them. And that, the, and that son that is priest in his stead shall put them on seven days when he cometh into the tabernacle of the congregation to minister in the holy place. And thou shalt take the ram of the consecration and seethe his flesh in the holy place. And Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram, that the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they shall eat those things wherewith the atonement was made, to consecrate and to sanctify them. But a stranger shall not eat thereof, because they are holy. And if aught of the flesh of the consecrations or of the bread remain unto the morning, then thou shalt burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten, because it is holy." And thus shalt thou do unto Aaron and to his sons according to all things which I have commanded thee. Seven days shalt thou consecrate them. Now, I know that that's a lot of verses. That's more than what we normally read, but it is the section that, that encapsulates everything that's going on here. And when we come to a text of Scripture like that, there's kind of two options that we can take. One is we can kind of check out. And we start hearing Charlie Brown's teacher, right? Because we're thinking this rams and bulls and sacrifices and sprinkling of blood and putting it on his, what's the deal with putting on his right ear and his right thumb and his right big toe and all of those things. Or we can look at this and say, I know that this is the inspired word of God. I understand that historically it was written to the Israelites because this was the prescription for the high priest and for the priest for uh, their, their preparation for service. And then brings us to the question to say, why? Why did God require that? I mean, God, God was in control. God is sovereign. God's setting all the rules why did he say that there had to be one bull and two rams? And why did they have to be sacrificed in this order? And these parts uh, burnt here and these parts burnt there. And this blood sprinkled here and this blood sprinkled there. And so obviously God has a purpose in this text. If you uh, are familiar in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible speaks of this time in the wilderness. And it talks about how they were all under the cloud and they all uh, passed through the sea and they were all drinking from the rock which was Christ. And then it says this, these were for our example. And then it goes on and talks about a warning about how some of them, even though they were part of Israel and had been through all that, didn't believe God and God uh, destroyed some of them in the wilderness. And he says, and these are for our ensample. And they're written for our admonition. And so, as I, I read that, I come to this understanding that even though this was specific for the Israelites during this time, that there is a spiritual purpose for it for the New Testament believer. 
And there's a couple of words that, that, that God inspired the writers to use in 1 Corinthians 10 that stand out to me. One is example, and the other is ensample. We're all familiar with the example, right? We know what that is. But the ensample is one of those KJV words that we sometimes look at and say, well, is that supposed to be, is that translated normally example? What is that? And I would say to you that it's, it's a proper translation, and it's describing two different things. Uh, kind of like, if you want to think of it this way, those two prefixes, in and ex, is kind of like entrance and exit, right? One you go in, one you go out. And so they're written for our example. That is, they stand out so that we can see them. They, they are an expression. They're an outward showing that we can follow. And so you can have an example from far off. I, I, could, I could demonstrate something up here and give you an example, and you could see it from where you are, even though you're not very close to me. And so the Old Testament scriptures serve in that, that way. We look back to them and we can see the outline of things. And we see the example of sacrifices and atonement and that type of thing. And, it's a, and an example. The word ensample is different in that it's the idea of an impression. If you will, it is a mold. right? An example is like a pattern that I might trace and outline. An in-sample is more like an impression that is made, and it happens through close contact. And so the idea there in 1 Corinthians 10 is that the Old Testament is good for us to look at from a distance, to see it in the big picture, but it's also good for us to bump up against it and to get the impression of it on our spirits. And 1 Corinthians 10, that passage of Scripture concludes by saying these were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And so this Old Testament Scripture is an example. It is an ensample. It's for our admonition. And, and that may make you uh, scratch your head and say, well, you know, I don't have a bull and I don't have two rams, so what's, what's the purpose here? And uh, as I've told you before, and you probably already are clued in, Everything that's happening in this tabernacle setting is a, a picture towards Christ, his church, the body. Uh, we saw most recently that, that the high priest is a picture of Jesus, who is our great high priest. And so God was giving us this example so that when he gets to the New Testament and he's describing Christ in all of his functions and offices, he can say he is the great high priest, the one who supersedes all other high priests that came. But without the high priest that was called out here in Exodus 28, we want to have a frame of reference to understand that. We also saw how that the priests... Uh, the sons of Aaron are a picture of believers. How that now in the New Testament, we're all priests with God through Christ and we no longer have to go through any other uh, mediator besides Christ. And so as we come to this text of Scripture, this is dealing with the priests and their preparation to enter into service and God gives this specific formula. Before they can do this, you have to take one bull, sacrifice it it's a sin offering you take one ram you sacrifice it and burn it it's a burn offering and you take another ram and you sacrifice it and you use it as a consecration and so what I see here and what I would like to draw out for you this evening is how that Christ is the fulfillment of all of these sacrifices 
that, that, that makes the believer able to be saved, able to, to be accepted, and, and able to serve the Lord. And so, number one, the, the bull was a sin offering. We see that there uh, in uh, verse, uh, verse 14. But the flesh of the bullock and his skin is dung, shalt thou burn with fire without the camp. Why? Because it is a sin offering. So not just the flesh, that was what you were to dispose of, but the whole offering is a sin offering. And so the first, first lesson that we're learning here is that there has to be an atonement for sin before these men can come into this role of priesthood. And the same is true for you and I as believers. There's nothing that we can do outside of Christ that makes us acceptable and gives us access to God. It doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter how clean of a life we try to live. It doesn't matter how many other rituals that we do. There is only one sin offering. And you and I know that that sin offering is Jesus Christ. I would read to you from 1 John where John says in chapter 2, My little children, these things write I to you that you sin not, and if any man is sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And then he goes on to say this in 1 John 2, 2, And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so you and I need a sin offering. We need a sacrifice for sins. We need something that will atone for our sins. And the only provision that we have for that, and the only provision that we need for that, is Jesus Christ. Because he is the propitiation. Now, propitiation is one of those words that really cannot be translated as anything else because it has a very specific theological meaning. It is the sacrifice that satisfies the requirement. And so we could even expand on that and say it is the sacrifice that satisfies the requirement of the law of God. And so the sacrifice that required the, the, the requirements of the law of God for the priest here in Exodus 29 had to be a bull. It couldn't be a ram. It was specific. And so it had to be specifically what God decreed. And so in the New Testament, we come to learn that that was a picture of Christ. Christ is the only propitiation for our sins. He is the only sacrifice that satisfies the righteous requirement of God. That's why the gospel is exclusive. That's why we can't water down the gospel. That's why we can't uh, compromise the gospel. That's why we can't accept any other religion that, that believes anything outside of Jesus Christ because Christ is the only one who satisfies the requirements of God. Do you understand that the, the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness, the Bible says? And that every sin God has to judge. And because God is omniscient, he knows every sin. Because he's uh, omnipresent, he, he knows everybody's sins everywhere. And so he cannot ignore sin. He cannot overlook it. He must judge sin. And the only way for God to offer forgiveness to you and I is to have a sacrifice that satisfies the requirements of the law. And Jesus Christ is that sacrifice. Exodus 29 is just a type. It is a picture. 
is a preview so that when we get to the full revelation of God to Christ, we can say, oh, I understand what those sacrifices were about. That was giving me a picture that there had to be a sacrifice, an innocent life that shed blood to cover my sins. And in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that while he was not guilty of any crime, and they could find nothing to accuse him of other than being the Messiah and claiming that identity, he was executed and his blood was shed. And specifically, remember Jesus is the only one on the cross that day out of those three that were on the cross that they pierced his side and his blood runs out and spills out. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. He is the sin offering for our salvation. And so for us, like them, to enter into this priestly service, we have to be saved. We have to be saved, and we have to be saved through the sin offering of Jesus Christ. Number two, the first ram was a burnt offering. We see that in uh, verse 18. It says, Thou shalt burn the whole ram upon the altar. It is a burnt offering unto the Lord. It is a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. This offering is a little bit different. Uh, this offering is a ram, so it's a different animal. And there's a different procedure for it. Yes, it is slaughtered, it is dissected, but this one is laid on the altar and it is to be burnt completely up. It is to be consumed. And the description that comes out of this burnt offering as we walk through the, the Pentateuch is that it, it is this, 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 as he says here in verse 18, it is a sweet savor an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And so it is the idea that, that the aroma of that charring meat is filling the air. And as, uh, as the nature of fire and heated air is, it, it rises towards the heavens. And it was a picture for those at that time to think about the, the fact that this sacrifice is coming into the nostrils of God and it is the idea that it is a a satisfactory offering to the Lord and so they were required to make this sacrifice and to do it in this order and to burn that meat completely they were not to eat any of it it was to be totally consumed burnt upon that altar Again, there is a picture of the judgment of God for sin. As we look through the Bible, fire has been a, a type of God's judgment uh, all the way back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, fire rained down on that place, fire and brimstone. Uh, in the first worldwide judgment, God destroyed the earth by water. Uh, the Bible says he'll never do that again, but in, in 2 Peter it says that he will destroy the earth by fire. And that final judgment comes down. Hell is a place of burning. And then hell and all the dead are cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. And so once again, we get this picture that there is this consuming fire of the judgment of God that consumes something. 
And if it doesn't consume the sinner, then it has to consume the sacrifice. And what we have here is a sacrifice that is made. It reminds me of Ephesians chapter 5. No doubt you imagine we've mined everything out of this book we could possibly mine, but Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says this, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So even though Christ was not crucified by fire or killed by fire, the New Testament says he is a fulfillment of that burnt offering, that he is an offering that is made that is a sweet-smelling savor to God. It is a satisfaction in the nostrils of God that he breathes in the sacrifice and he accepts that on our behalf. Again, it's substitutionary. It's on our behalf. These animals are substitutes. These animals don't have sin. These animals don't have a soul. These animals aren't the ones with a volition that chose to disobey their creator. They are innocent. And so they become the substitute for those who are the volitional sinners. And then... The second ram was a consecration offering. And we saw that in verses 19 through 35. There's two sections in there, really. Uh, uh, verses 19 through 21 describe an external consecration. That's where that ram is, is, is slaughtered and the blood of the ram is collected. And that blood is sprinkled on the garments and that blood is smeared on the right ear and the right thumb and the right toe. And, uh, and, and so it is this external consecration of the high priest and the priest, of Aaron and his sons. And then in verses 31 through 33, there's an internal consecration because they are to take some of the meat and they're supposed to boil it, to seethe it and to eat it and to consume it before they begin their service. And you say, well, what's the purpose in that? Well, it's total consecration. It is consecrating the external and the internal. It is the idea that, that the entire being of the priest is consecrated to God. Consecration is an interesting word. It, it, its basic meaning means to feel and the extension of that, the idea of that, is that it means to feel the hand. And so the, the, the interpretation is that this consecration of Aaron and his sons is that they are, they are placed in the hand of God. They are feeling the hand of God to be the instruments to carry out his service. And again, it's a picture of what Christ did for us, that Christ sacrificed himself for us, and through that sacrifice, he consecrated us. He made us useful vessels unto God. Remember that passage of Scripture that talks about some, some vessels are useful and some are uh, not useful. Some are for honor and some are for dishonor. 
Uh, Paul said that, that he was fearful, that he was guarded in his, in his own personal life because he, he didn't want to find that when he administered to others that he became a castaway. And I'm told that, that historically the idea of that was the idea of like casting away a broken pot, a broken vessel that was no longer useful because it was damaged and marred. And so this idea is that we have been consecrated through Christ so that we can be used in the hand of God. Uh, again, uh, if I could go back to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then verse 10 is connected to that. And it says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God saved you to serve. Every Christian ought to have that understanding. God saved you to serve. He didn't save you just to enjoy the ride and not worry about where you're going when you die. He saved you to serve. He wants to use you to accomplish his will you and I are his instrument in this world just as these priests were consecrated and placed at the hand of God at his disposal so that he could use them in the service of the tabernacle uh, to, to, to mediate between him and the nation of Israel God has saved us and he has consecrated us and we as the church now are his vehicle in this world and he has deployed us through the great commission to go to every nation and to make disciples to go into all the world and to preach the gospel we are to serve the Lord we are able to serve the Lord because of Jesus sacrifice for us and so as we step back and we trace the outline of this text we begin to realize that this threefold sacrifice for the priest it was a picture of uh, salvation and sacrifice and service and, and Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those types and you and I are now the beneficiaries if you would I would invite you to come with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews is one of the best commentaries on the Old Testament. It is written to the Hebrews by the text, and, and the purpose of that is that it is an explanation of how Christ is the fulfillment of the law, that he is the sacrifice, he is the high priest, he is everything that they have been anticipating. And it, and it fills in some blanks for them and helps them understand how that he does fulfill all those. Well, how can he be the great high priest if, he is, if he's not of the tribe of Levi? He was, he was of the tribe of Judah. And Hebrews goes back and explains to us that there was another priest before the priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood. And it was the priesthood of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is this figure in Scripture who had no, no mother or father, no, no descent, no beginning, no end. And, and, and it tells us that Christ is a, is a priest after the order of Melchizedek and that he is superseding the Aaronic priesthood. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11 tells us this about these sacrifices. 
But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. So we're moving right from Exodus and looking at the first tabernacle into the understanding that there is a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building, not of this earth, not of earthly materials. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats... And the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God to purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Oh, I'm telling you. God included every word of Exodus 29 because he wanted to make an impression on us. He wanted us to understand that there was a stringent requirement for those sinful men to be able to enter into that position of service. And that not anybody, just not anybody could do it. And even those who were part of the elect people and those who were part of the select tribe had to have a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice on their behalf, a multifaceted sacrifice so that their sins could be atoned, so that this offering would be a sweet-smelling savor to God and so that they could be consecrated to this service. And then the New Testament says Jesus is so much better than all of that and he shed his blood so that you and I could be saved, have our consciences purged of their sin, so that his offering would be a sweet-smelling savor, a satisfaction to God, and so that we could serve the living God. And so I understand that all of us have our own insecurities and that there's a lot of people who, who feel like they don't really have something they could do for the Lord. And I, and I get that. I, I, I have battled insecurities all my life. And uh, just because I'm able to get up and do public speaking without, you know, being in the fetal position doesn't mean that I've overcome all of those. But I'll tell you what has helped me. It is understanding that it's not I, but Christ. And that if it was just on the merits of Justin Hall, I would sit down right now and never, ever attempt to try and do anything for the Lord. But I am firmly convinced that when Christ saved me, He sanctified me, and He consecrated me, and He enabled me to do the service that He wants me to do. Many times I have quoted to myself, 2 Corinthians 3, that He has made us able ministers of the New Testament. And so I want you to go from this place tonight encouraged, knowing that Christ has made every provision for you so that you can fulfill the service that he's designed for you. And that there is a ministry for every single one of us. 
And it doesn't have to be a structured ministry. It doesn't have to be a weekly ministry. It doesn't have to be a teaching ministry. There are ministry opportunities aplenty. And you and I are able to do it. And so let's not disqualify ourselves simply because we don't think we have a certain giftedness. Let's ask God to take us in his hand and to use us to be the instrument he wants us to be right where we are in the lives of the people that he's already brought across our path. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I do thank you so much for the attention that you give to these details that, that makes us pause and, and scratch our head and ask those questions that why would a sovereign God include this in Scripture? And then to examine the Scriptures more closely and to compare Scripture with Scripture and to see that there is a picture of Christ and the fullness of his sacrifice and his substitutionary atonement on our behalf that makes us able ministers, not of the old covenant, but of the new covenant. And so, Father, I pray that you would unleash this army of priests, that each and every one of us would deploy into our field of service, and that we would trust you, that you have already made every provision, you've already equipped us, you've already empowered us to do the ministry that you want us to do. And so may we find that ministry or ministries and may we rely upon you to be the driving power and force and us simply to be the instrument. Thank you, Lord, for using people like us to do your divine work in this world. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.